How do you capture 1.4 billion people in China? Chinese people are smart. How do you, how do you trick 1.4 billion people into following one little fat guy, hmm. being a slave to that one little fat guy and, hmm. and, and his mafia incrementally hmm. and, and through a process that is almost invisible until it's too late. And that's what's happening in America right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and Thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money Show is 100% sponsor-based, so all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Mickey Willis, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Thanks, Robert. Great to be here. So good to have you. Uh, very excited for this conversation. As I was telling you offline, uh, I have watched your latest film twice now. And as an avid documentary watcher for many years, I think it's one of the best I've ever seen. So kudos to you. Thank you. You're quite welcome. And just by way of quick introduction, you are a filmmaker of the Plandemic series, uh, the latest installment of which is Plandemic 3, The Great Awakening. And I believe you said this is the most viewed documentary series in history. That's correct. That's incredible. It's an incredible feat. Um, maybe we could just start there. Can you give us a synopsis of Plandemic 3, The Great Awakening, and your motivation for making this film. Sure, well, that almost requires me to go back to Plandemic 1, which was, um, uh, I lost a brother to a medication called AZT, which was prescribed to, prescribed to AIDS patients in the 80s and 90s, and it was touted by Anthony Fauci as the miracle cure, and it killed more than 300,000 innocent people. 
So I was fully aware of who Anthony Fauci was and is and the damage that he did through the AIDS epidemic and several other outbreaks that he has overseen that had the same results, which is uh, the the masking of truly safe and effective medications for medications that they can profit from, that are mm. um, that they can patent. And so when he reappeared in 2020 as the you know, America's doctor overseeing this international outbreak, um, it shocked me that he was still in business because I'd kind of written that off as, uh, uh, you know, staying on our family's past of what had happened because not only did that medicine kill my brother pretty rapidly, but the grief of dealing with it, my mom was a cancer survivor and the grief of knowing that she was one of the ones that defied all of the warnings from my brother's friends and people that were saying, don't put them on that medication. Um, it's killing people. But she said, I'm going to listen to the science. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Mm. And so she listened to the science and her, and it took her son. Mm. And 34 days later, she succumbed to the cancer that she had been fighting for 12 years or so. So, you know, I watched my mother and brother um, buried within the same, almost the same month, 34 days apart from each other. And that uh, that doesn't leave you. And so when I saw him, Anthony Fauci, resurface in 2020, I knew that something bad was going to happen. If it's, whether it's corruption or just complete incompetence, I knew that something was going to um, go foul. And so I reached out to the only scientist I knew at that time, accredited scientist, which was Dr. Judy Mikovits, uh, because I knew that she had worked under Anthony Fauci. And um, and so I, I said, let's get together and do an interview and, and really help warn the world of what may be coming um, that could turn out to be the opposite of what they think it is, the very people that uh, are there supposedly to govern our health and to take care of us and to really fight for our well-being sometimes are the people that are do the most damage. Mm -hmm. And so let's at least put something fair out. Let's do the deep research. Let's let's not be irresponsible and say anything that we can't prove or back up. But let's share your story because you worked with the man and you saw the corruption from behind the curtain. And so we put out Plandemic One and that one went um, massively massively viral because I think the world at that point was really looking for answers. A lot of people felt intuitive, intuitively like something's not right, even if they were completely um, buying into the, the pandemic and all of that, it still felt like the protocols and some of the measures just didn't make sense. They weren't, for anyone who has a little bit of critical thinking ability, it didn't make sense that people were being told to stay inside and not outdoor where the vitamin D is mm. free and, and abundant and, mm. and, uh, and, and that, you know, liquor stores and strip clubs were, were allowed to stay open, but health health stores and beaches and gyms were closed. Like, you know, a lot of people were mm. really needing answers to why this things felt so illogical. And so the, so Plandemic One was kind of the first thing that came out to challenge the system. And because of that, it went around the world. Um, and I offer all my films for free. So there, there were no barriers to entry. So people could share it and and even profit in their own way if they wanted to. Because, you know, clicks and views are currency to people these days. And so I mm -hmm. said, look, download the file and take it and do whatever you want with it. I, I didn't mm -hmm. limit anyone at all. And uh, just get the word out there. Let's at least have 
give people the the benefit of a informed consent so they can see both sides of this, everything you're hearing on the mainstream media. And then now here's this scientist who actually worked with Anthony Fauci with a different perspective. And now you can at least choose. At least I know that we tried. We we tried to put a, a counter uh, narrative out there. So I wouldn't have felt right had I just stayed silent with what I knew. And then all the devastation happened. And I and looking back, knowing that I could have done something about it, I knew that I, I, I just couldn't be silent. Mm. And so um, so that, that led to Plandemic 2. The Plandemic 2 was kind of a reaction, a response to Plandemic 1, because the media came out to smear it as nothing but debunked. That's why our um, our subtitle of the film is 100% silenced or 100% uh, censored and 0% debunked, because mm. even though there was nothing they could really point to to say, you know, because we said, look, it was created in a lab. This was not, a, this was made through the gain of function research. Any scientist who understands and a little bit of virology can look at it and understand that somebody has tampered with this. This is not a naturally occurring phenomena. And um, and these things were just immediately smeared as being insane and dangerous, and and they they, they just they just went all out to paint because they couldn't find the information, um, uh, they couldn't prove that the information was inaccurate. They went after our characters, which mm. is the game they play. So they went mm. after me, and they went after Judy Michaelovitz to just paint us as these crazy, fame-seeking, horrible people that were threatening the lives of your grandparents, you know, mm. and. Three years later, we now know the truth of what was really going on there, that we are you know, living within a very, very corrupt uh, medical system here in the West and beyond. But Plandemic 2 was because I was so shocked that people were so quick to believe the lying media and they didn't, they weren't willing to do their own research. They just wanted to believe the headline and then just write it off. And, and there were a lot of reasons for that. You know, there were a lot of people that were just scared or people that had you know, gotten vac the vaccines or gotten their children, and they didn't want to consider that they, you know, that they'd done something that might be harmful. So they were scared, and we understand that. Right. But Plandemic 2 was following the patents, strictly following the, the patents so people can understand the money game mm -hmm. and the paper trail and showing who owns them and proving what we stated, what we claimed in Plandemic 1 by actually showing this is what leads right to the front doors of the NIH, right to the front doors of the Wuhan lab um, and and every other laboratory within the U.S. that is responsible for this very dangerous gain-of-function research that has um, cr created these, these very deadly um, outbreaks. Mm. And, uh, and Plandemic 3, The Great Awakening, is a departure from Plandemic 1 and 2 because what I don't what I've learned not to do, because I'm a 30-year-plus media veteran, I know the game. And what I know not to do is to follow whatever bait they are offering through the mainstream channels. So whatever it is they're speaking about in loop is mm -hmm. what they want us to obsess upon. Mm -hmm. It's a distraction game. Mm -hmm. And so I always look at what are the things that they don't want us talking about, and mm -hmm. let's talk about that. And so Plandemic 3 was really a, uh, the Great Awakening was to illustrate that this really wasn't about COVID and it really wasn't even on, at, at, a, at a top level, not even really about a vaccine. It's about something else. Mm. And it goes back decades and it's really about control. Mm. And so we wanted to lay out in a, you know, indisputable way, the history of how long these things have been happening, how they work 
and to show the people that even these movements that we all want to get behind because we want to help, you know, people, particularly Americans, have good hearts or good mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And we want to help people of color, minorities and women and anyone who who needs help. We There's something intrinsic, primal within us, particularly as men, that we want to protect those in need. Mm -hmm. And they prey upon that and they weaponize our compassion mm -hmm. um, to create things like Black Lives Matter that we all get behind and go in the streets and start chanting for. And we don't understand what it's really about and mm -hmm. who's even funding those things and how it benefits the very forces that we think we're resisting. Mm -hmm. So that, that for me is the great awakening for us to awaken to that. And in general, the fact that I believe that, that we are living through a great awakening right now. Yes. Wow. Um, I'm reminded of, the, there's a classic book titled Propaganda. And uh, one of the core points in that book is you can't tell people what to think, but you can tell them what to think about. Mm -hmm. And it was very strange to see mainstream media pundits repeating these same lines over and over again. Like they're all getting their marching orders from one source um and yeah human being like this these are not these romantic lies have been told time and time throughout history right like in soviet russia we had from each according to their ability to each according to their need and then more recently during this pandemic saga we had nobody's safe until everybody's safe there's always these these big yeah. utopian lies that are told yeah. to justify collectivism over individualism and um, it's the same thing, just in a different rapper. <laughs> um, in the film, you interviewed Matthias Desmet, uh, who specializes in the study of mass formation psychosis. He's also been on the show. And uh, he, he has an excellent book. I think it's titled The Psychology of Totalitarianism. I hope I have that title right. In your estimation, in what ways does the collective behavior we saw during the pandemic saga qualify as an instance of mass psychosis? And is it another one of those, like these past totalitarian attempts we've seen, he qualifies as mass psychosis. Was this another one of another one of those? Short answer is yes. Yeah. And I, I, I will, um, offer you what I've been offered by a lot of people like Matthias and, and, and others that, that require us to not say psychosis because they say that that's a actually medical diagnosis that it's mm -hmm. mass formation right yeah. um and and so and there's a lot of upheaval that happens when we call it mass formation psychosis that I don't fully understand today mm -hmm. but I just want to make that clear so we don't um we don't we don't uh, have to storm that attack mm -hmm. um so mass formation is basically mass hypnosis mm. and it is something that that a small group of people are very, very good at. So while we have been spending most of our lives distracted by things, by fetishes, by by um, what the Lakers are doing mm -hmm. as bread, men. Bread by, and circuses, as they used to call bread it. Bread and circuses, exactly, exactly. A term very few people know, but that's mm -hmm. exactly what it is. So mm -hmm. just keeping the people entertained with circus and bread and whatever, just the minimal things that we need to to distract this thing that I'm sure we'll talk about later, this thing called our attention, which um, is uh, not talked about enough, and we'll get mm -hmm. into that later. But to to they be, we, our attention collectively has been hijacked, and the mm -hmm. people know exactly. I spent years in advertising, and sometimes I'd be asked to you know give a 
come and give a pitch so you might be able to win the the production of this commercial for Honda or whatever it might be. And I'd come in and I'd study the car and why the car is amazing. I'd come into the advertising boardroom and give a pitch. And they were never interested about, about any pitch that had anything to do with just spotlighting why the car was good. It was like, can we put girls in bikinis? Can we, I thought, what, what, I don't, uh, what does this have to do with a, the, the new Honda passport? What, what is this? Well, it's about getting, capturing their attention. And I sort of realizing as a young filmmaker and watching this game happen, that it is really about capturing. It's like the, the our attention is, is the, is the rudder of our ship. Mm -hmm. And it's like you, you hijack that ship and you have that will and you take that ship to whatever continent you, you want it to go into. So we mm -hmm. no longer have dominion over our choices. There's an illusion that we do. But we don't even understand how much we're affected by every billboard we see, reminding us that we're not quite complete, mm -hmm. that if we just had this product, we'd be that much happier. Look at these smiling models in this ad and mm -hmm. look at this this average guy that got the above average model. You know, mm -hmm. if we just keep buying their products and moving closer into being who they want us to be, we'll find that happiness that that is currently a, a void within us. Like that's the game they play. They play mm. with human emotions mm. and, and, and human wounds. They, they know how to toy with that. And so mass formation is no different than that. It's, it's playing on a, a, an intrinsic primal need that we have to be connected. Mm. There is a need for humanity. We want to be connected. Even those who've become so cynical, they say, just leave me alone. I want to go live in the woods by myself. They've resigned and they've given up on that intrinsic desire mm. because they've been so, you know, frustrated by the world and by humanity. But if they were to clear that out and to heal that, they would come back to realizing that we actually need each other. Mm. We're like cells in the organism of any mm. any life form. And so we function together and we do want to be part of each other. And there's a there's an original wound of separation that we have mm. that we it goes way back. And so there's been this desire for us to come back together as humans because we understand that we are also in service to this evolutionary process, this organism that we call life. Mm. And when we're at odds, we're diseased. That's what disease is, when the cells start to fight each other and the body starts to... And, uh, and so the people that are behind these agendas understand that far better than most of us ever will. And so they understand what to say and what to do to give us, and I'll give you an example. You have a bunch of people, first you have to decrease meaning in life. As Carl Jung said, we have a deficit of meaning. Mm. And so you have, to, you have to decrease meaning, purpose. Like we've come here for a purpose. I used to believe I was a nihilist, an atheist, everything. And I believe that we're just, I used to have, I coined a phrase that we're just moss on a rock trying to make, make it mean something. Mm. I am now on the other side of that belief, understanding that we actually serve a purpose mm. and that purpose is life and evolution. Mm. And most of us though, we end up coming here and we get, we get stuck and trapped into a man-made system that has nothing to do with our purpose and everything to do with just maintaining a bunch of crap that we need, that we don't really need mm. and getting, getting by month to month, just surviving always with that impending fear of, what if I get sick? What's mm -hmm. going to happen? I don't have the proper insurance. I could, I could be on the street next month. Most people live on the edge of this fear their whole life. And, and when people are living there, it's very easy to manipulate them. So you have to create a state of dependency, 
of desperation and dependency. And then you tell everyone, these are the bad people. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is put a 50 cent mask on and you can go out and virtue signal and be part of something meaningful. You're the good ones. Mm-hmm. You're saving grandma, grandpa. You're the virtuous ones. You're the ones who are actually living right. And these other people are you know, just fill in the descriptives, right? Of mm-hmm. who, who, how, how wicked they are. So now we can go out there. And I didn't, I didn't discover this, Robert, until I, I, I was, you know, a, a year and a half or so into the, the pandemic. And I'm engaged in a lot of online debates and, and speaking live and, and debating with people. And I'm, and I'm, I would show people evidence, hard evidence, like video evidence. This is what happened of, you know, we do court cases and we try to straighten out major narratives. So we did the Kyle Rittenhouse case, Covington student case, and I would show people, here's actually what happened. And people would just get angry with me instead Mm -hmm. of, instead of, even when it was news that I thought, I I wonder why this person isn't receiving this news as relief. Like, oh, that's so good to know that people are actually better than I thought they were, that this didn't actually happen. Mm -hmm. I'm relieved. No, they would just turn their anger on me. And I thought, what why do what is this within them that has them want to believe the lie and it's because ultimately they're they're now given connection they have tribe mm, mm. and my showing them evidence might lead them if they believe it if it's true if it's convincing their newly found connection with others will be broken mm. and so i'm the guy threatening that connection Mm. But the truth of the matter is, is when you're bonded by agreement, which is a very dangerous way to be in relationship, because now you're bonded by agreement. You must agree. You must mm. completely be for the trans agenda 100%. If you dare say, I don't know that they should be competing against women in MMA, mm-hmm. then you're out. you got to check every box. That's how fragile it is when you're bonded by agreement. Because now you have to agree with everything. And that's just not natural for us. And, and it's it's not also not healthy because we stop learning and evolving, having the 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 distinction of differences for us to be able to explore what you believe and what I believe and 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 maybe find common ground is how we grow together. And so the mass formation is a way to get everyone part of this collective beehive group think where they're actually not thinking. They're just looking around going, what is everyone else is doing? Okay, I'm, I'm going to do that too. It doesn't have to make logical sense. You can say men can get pregnant mm-hmm. and and you don't have to believe that. You just have to go, I just have to say it loud and 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 then shame anyone who dare, dare challenges it. Yeah. Two years ago, you wouldn't have said that. So what happened to you between then and now? And that's what people need to start exploring, which is what I conveying at the beginning of the great awakening was my awakening began when I asked myself the question, am I hypnotized? Mm. And that happened when I was on the road with Bernie Sanders. And the answer was, yes, I was. Mm. And that's, that's when the awakening began for me. Yeah. It's such a great point that every, like a core motivation for all of us is that we all seek love and belonging, right? We want love within our families, within our communities. And we, we want to belong to a cause. Like you said, especially men, I think we, we orient ourselves towards purpose. And I guess once we choose a tribe or a community or a cause to be part of, it quickly becomes part of our identity, right? You see this a lot in politics 
if if I'm a liberal and you're a conservative, we're just at odds forever, right? There's no critical yeah. thinking. It's you, you know I've labeled you. I've reduced the complexity of who you are to a single label, as you have done to me, and it just kind of destroys rationality and uh, rational debate. And then if you present information that threatens that that idea that ideology or the purpose or the community that that person is integrated into, you're actually threatening their identity, right? You're threatening the core of who they are and people will defend against that. And you're not, you're never going to snap out of that until you take, until you self-reflect and ask a mm -hmm. question, like you said, am I hypnotized? Um, I think that's a very useful question for all of us to consider and in, in all of our ideological positions. Um, you cite a quote in the film from Carl Jung, which I'll read. He wrote that quote, the state takes the place of God. The socialist dictatorships are religions, and the state and state slavery is a form of worship, unquote. There was certainly a religious quality to the vitriol that pandemic apologists were pouring out on the so-called anti-vaxxers during this saga. You know, it was an absolute, you know, get get the jab or go to jail. Um, don't question the science which is especially oxymoronic considering that science is a method of systematic questioning. So when you say don't question the science, you're saying don't question the questioning, like it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. um, is this, was this another instance? And I say another because you get into some other instances throughout history where this has been the case in which the state has tried to position itself as kind of a secular religion. Um. And it, you know, it tries to uh, discount traditional religions in place of, of statism, as we saw, say, with like Stalin, Mao, Lenin, etc. And if that's the case, if this is the state trying to position itself as a secular religion, what is the proper role of traditional religion in inoculating people against these types of psyops? And just as one little anecdotal piece of evidence here, I grew up in Tennessee, and I noticed when I was traveling during the pandemic, as soon as I arrived in Texas. Tennessee or Florida, the pandemic was over. It wasn't going on there. And <laughs> I, 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 yeah. And I, and I thought, I was like, what is it? What's different about these places? And you could say they're freedom loving politics, but you could also say there's a, a larger prevalence of Christianity in those areas, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Um, yeah. especially among the Latino community. There's a, uh, a lot of, a lot of Christian influence there in the South. Obviously, it's the Bible Belt. So is this a, a religious type? battle and, and if so what is the role of traditional religion in protecting people against the this these forms of ideological possession yeah very deep and wonderful question because i think we need to really examine and redefine what religion is and has become mm. because i for many years i'll put it this way i had an aunt and uncle that, that became born again christians and it was the first experience I had to come from a very non-religious uh, upbringing. But my aunt and uncle became born-again Christians. And um, they started to do their best to convert my dysfunctional extended family. Hmm. And as a result of that, they were uninvited to every family gathering. Hmm. So as a young boy, I saw that as like, ooh, this God thing is bad. This hmm. is how you lose family. Stay away from it. And I'm actually glad that I adapted that 
idea because it, while I lived most of my life in, in absolute rejection to God and religion, but I studied the religions. I was fascinated by world religions because they were calling me and I didn't realize that. And that's where the fascination came, came from. I started studying Taoism and Buddhism and and finding a lot of things in in those religions that I really liked. I really liked the aspect of mindfulness and mm -hmm. and sitting in silence and getting clear on 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 you know the the thoughts circulating within your skull and and I thought you know and it didn't seem it didn't seem too controlling. It just seemed very individual and like just a peaceful practice. So that that was kind of my parlay into considering that maybe some of these religions are okay. I will say since the release of Plandemic One, I have found an affinity for Christians that I never, ever thought I would have. Mm. And I've learned to decipher the difference between religious fanatics, those trapped in their own Christian mass formation cult, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and those who have had and continue to have a deep and profound connection with a divine intelligence. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I say sometimes, I, I was on a speaker's tour when my book first came out, and it was a very Christian-oriented group that I was touring around the United States with. And every now and then I'd say things like, that I found how important it is to find God by whatever name you choose. And I would, I would come off stage and say, oh, honey, there's only one name. You mm -hmm. need to be clear on that. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I'd say to them, listen, I understand what you're saying but I'm not going to be so arrogant as to negate everybody else's belief out mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. If they come from another culture, um, I don't need to convert them into yours or mine. Mm. As long as they understand that there's something greater than them, mm -hmm. because the ego wants, there, there, there's something comforting in knowing that too. And I mean, in a grounded way, not, not just in a false pacifying way, but once you understand that there's a benevolent intelligence that's governing mm. all of nature and all of life. And that it's not by happenstance and it's, and it's intelligent beyond measure. Mm -hmm. It's why the insects, the birds, the animals, the plants, the trees, it's why they all know what to do. And they operate in a very natural form, but it's us humans with our free will that challenge the natural course of life that could just mm -hmm. flow easily, but we make it so difficult because we want to challenge everything. And there's a, there's something cool about that too. We want to challenge everything, but we sometimes throw the baby out with the bathwater while, mm -hmm. while we're stating those challenges to, to we, like I did most of my life by looking at all of the war that's been done in the name of religion and just saying, it is bad. It is the root of everything bad. And I, I would throw the baby out with the bathwater by, by making those judgments like that. And now I understand that there's a real upside, a real powerful upside to understanding. It eliminates the ego too, because I think mm -hmm. the ego is there to protect us when we think that we're all, all that there is to protect us. Like that's mm -hmm. our armor that we put on. Let's, let me develop. I mean, look at the bravado of most men right now. Mm -hmm. uh, look, look at, look at the gang uh, mentality. Look, look at the thug mentality out there. You know, we have to look like we've, we've done a 20 year prison stint just to survive in the streets because we don't feel protected. We don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so it develops that we develop this ego armor 
And that ego armor um, leads us to very destructive patterns. Mm -hmm. So these people, the Bill Gates, you know, he may not look like someone who's in his ego because he's not the bravado type of ego, but he's in a whole other type of ego. Mm -hmm. And these men that don't feel complete or safe, even though they have billions of dollars, they will make choices that will be detrimental to your existence. Um, all out of their this deficiency, something they're lacking inside of themselves. Mm. And and I have found in this experience that I am honored to have been uh, just kind of thrust into in the past three and a half years, I have found that the two classes of people that I've grown to really respect are parents particularly parents of injured children. Mm. I didn't know what a warrior was until I met parents of injured children. And people who have a really true, profound connection with God. Mm. They are living for something other than their own survival, other than their own gratification, other than protecting all the crap that owns them. They're living for something else, and and it is it's it's as close to selflessness at, that I've ever seen. Hmm. And coming from thirty years in Hollywood, where it is it is a maze that by the time you come out of that maze, you are selfish. Mm-hmm. It is all about breeding selfishness, protecting yourself. You're auditioning against all your friends, everyone in your age group, every guy that's in your age group. You're auditioning, so they're they're your opponents. So you become you phony because you need your friends, but you also don't want the best for them because you want that job over them, right? So you develop this competitiveness with the people you you're supposed to lo- love the most, and um, and it just it really breeds this this um, falseness of mm-hmm. of uh, persona. And what I found in the in the Christians that I am now working with, the true, not the judgmental people who just. Um, are using religion um, as a as a uh, as their own COVID mask mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, to to appear to be the righteous ones, but mm-hmm. the people who really have had I had in two thousand eight, I had a spontaneous um, Christ experience mm-hmm. came out of nowhere, started in a Mexican restaurant when I was sitting having dinner with my wife, and I said we need to go home, and I had this profound experience that happened in me that I would never have in my entire life have imagined that would that I would experience. Mm-hmm. And it, what I understand now looking back and this is 15 years ago, looking back now I understand that it was my rejection of of the the Christ of God was was my father wound. Mm-hmm. I was raised by a single mom and a father who was never there. And I wanted to be a father and I'd met the love of my life and I knew that we were saying, we're going to have kids, right? We're going to do this thing. And, but then I, I had to get realigned with what I now call the father frequency. I had tuned mm. to tune that out in my life. I didn't mm. know it and I was afraid mm. of it, but I, I, I would have become the very fathers that I despise had I not had this awakening to the father. Mm. Hmm. And so I'm not a I'm not a devoutly religious person. I don't go to church. I don't read the Bible, but I pray every single day, mm. and I understand the power of it, and I thank God for my life, and um, and I've never been happier, and I've never felt more secure, 
and I'm in a 20-year relationship, and I have two extraordinary sons. And so all that matters to me, I'm a very practical person, hmm. is, is it working? Hmm. And it's working. There you go. <laughs> when it's working, that is, that's beautiful. Um, as you were describing the, the two people you really admire, you know, parents of injured children and those aligned with the divine intelligence, let's say, or God. Um, my mom used to tell me that having children was an opportunity to, to live life beyond yourself. And it seems like that might be the common denominator between the two is mm -hmm. people that are really aligned with that. You're, you're actually living life um, beyond your own immediate concerns, right? It's, it's outside of your ego that is driving your actions, let's say. And that's clearly very important for, for social cohesion. Mm -hmm. um, and the word we use, you know, God, Allah, the universe, the divine, it seems to me like all of these are just words we're using to represent that which is beyond words, right? There is, reality is way more complicated than anything we can contain within language. Um, you might say that the map is not the territory, right? We're trying to map reality with words, but it's never sufficient to capture the complexity of all that is. And I think that is a real key to humility, right? To know that mm -hmm. what you think you might know is almost like a Socrates thing. The only thing I know is I know nothing at all. Um, the more you think you know, the less wise you actually are. Like you have to have this respect for the limitations of knowledge itself to really um, to be wise in the world. And I think, if, you know, to have humility is necessary to have learning, obviously, and to be able to learn is to be able to adapt. And so with that, you get, you gain this capacity to reject all final answers or final solutions or totalizing knowledge itself, which is really at the heart of totalitarianism, right? It's like, here is the final answer. This is what you need to do. We, you know, trust the science. This is the final plan, the communist utopia, whatever it may be. And I'm reminded of, I think this was in Paradise Lost. Uh, Friedman has a quote. He says that evil is the force that believes its knowledge is complete. So something, you know, whether it's God or experience or spirituality, whatever the practice is that keeps you in the understanding that knowledge is finite, and that it's never complete sort of insulates you from evil and protects mm -hmm. you from uh, brainwashing and, and psyops and things things of that sort. Mm -hmm. um, beautifully Great said. Insights. Thank, thank you for insights. sharing that. I was just going to say the same to you. <laughs> now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand-new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Um, so central to your film, uh, I'm talking. I'm focused on Plandemic 3 here because that's the one I've watched. I haven't watched the first two yet, but I certainly will. 
central to the film is an interview with G. Edward Griffin uh, from over 50 years ago, where he actually discussed the communist and the socialist playbook. And he described the tactics used by figures like Stalin, Lenin, and Mao to supplant really people's history, traditional religion, and replace them with statist ideology. And I guess my question here is, we've seen this pattern repeat, repeat, repeat. Is the human species going to forever be engaged in this ideological struggle for the minds of the young, where we're trying to convince them that you know this ideology is better than that ideology? And does it is it reducible, sort of as G. Edward Griffin says, to just this age-old struggle between individualism and collectivism? Mm-hmm. I would say, looking from where we are now, it appears that we probably will endure the struggle forever. But mm-hmm. I'm very intentional when I say looking from where we are now, and I'll explain mm-hmm. what I mean by that. In 2008, I saw a black and white vintage IBM ad from, I think it was the 50s. And it had a, it was an illustration of a woman smiling and motioning towards, she was inside a house, but motioning towards an open bedroom door. And beyond that door was a floor to ceiling, wall to wall, massive computer system like you'd see in NASA. And the ad was, well, warning to home homeowners, you will need to add on a master size room for what we are going to be bringing to you in the coming decades. And that is a PC, a personal computer. Mm. It will be the size of your master bedroom. (laughs) And we look at that now and we can laugh at that because we had no idea looking from where they were then, the biggest brains in computer technology, had every reason to believe in that age that as things got more powerful, they got bigger. Mm-hmm. They didn't know about nanotechnology then. They mm-hmm. didn't understand that we'd have terabytes on on the head of a pin. And so I'm always cautious to give any answers from where we are now because I understand we're limited in our knowledge of mm-hmm. what might be invented between now and then that can change the entire game. Mm-hmm. But from where where I'm looking from now, it appears that we will always be part, this will always be part of the game and the struggle. Mm. And I was on stage a um, couple of weeks ago, and someone said, you know, doing a Q&A, uh, and someone said, oh, this is a couple months ago, actually, in uh, Aspen. And someone said, sounds like all we need to do is eliminate this Klaus Schwab character. And I said, nah, that, that won't do anything. And so what do you mean? I said, uh, yeah, he's, WEF is behind, the World Economic Forum is behind a lot of what's wrong right now. Absolutely. So it, it, it could put a ding in their system. But there's another Klaus Schwab right behind him. Mm-hmm. And that's always going to continue. Mm-hmm. There'll always be people that are going to great lengths to fill an unfillable void within themselves. Mm. And as a result, doing great damage to everyone else. There'll always be that. Mm-hmm. And it's okay because... As we know, they say this is the third dimension that we're living in, third dimension reality. What makes 3D? As an artist, I'll tell you, shadow. Without shadow, we have 2D art. Mm. And so third dimension, 3D requires shadow for things to appear in 3D form. Mm -hmm. And so we actually need the shadow. Mm. But what they're trying to do is to obscure the entire scenery with shadow, with darkness. Mm. 
Mm. And that's why it's, this is when we have to bring our light to the mm. picture. Mm. But so we need that. And it's part of the contrast that's required for us to exist in this 3D reality. So mm. it'll never go away. Mm. But our, the way that we react to it, interact with it, can change and is changing right now during this great awakening. And I'll give you an example. The boycotts that we're witnessing. I've been an activist for over 25 years. And we always said to people, vote with your dollar. Mm. And I don't think that the public understood what that meant until recently, that we understood, wow, like, like we're driving Bud Light out of business. Mm -hmm. This isn't, this is, we have that power. Yeah, we always have. Mm -hmm. We can cause target billions of dollars in, 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 in market drop. Mm. We can show Ben and Jerry's what we feel about their anti-America statements by simply not buying their, their ice cream. Mm -hmm. It sounds so basic, but we're just waking up to that reality. And so the Klaus Schwab's of the world are have, only have power because other people with power participate in their game. Mm -hmm. And we prop those people up by buying their products and participating on their platforms. Mm. So we keep feeding them, making them powerful, and then they go off and they take directions from this crazy man named Klaus Schwab and others that are all, you know, anti-human. And so once we understand that taking this Bud Light model of boycott and really understanding the chain of command, and if these people are participating in any of mm. that anti-human agenda that's actually very destructive to our lives and our liberties, mm. let's find out everything they own. If it's a car manufacturer, if it's, if it's solar panels, if it's Coca-Cola, whatever it is, and starve it to death. Mm. That's we have the power because we are the masses. Mm. These 0.001% of crazy, deluded, wounded maniacs that only think about themselves and will kill women and children by the millions to get what they want. We there's there's three layers of that there's there's the the tech entrepreneurs the the corporate corporation ceos and people that are playing that esg game mm -hmm. that 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 dei game and then there's us who support them and gives them the power to actually have influence on our planet mm. and so it, if we stop and we become incredibly responsible with every penny we spend and that requires boycotting China. Mm -hmm. And that is not a, at all a slander against the incredible Chinese people who are also under the tyranny of their own horrible government that is, you know, communist government, the CCP. Mm -hmm. It is to understand that our nation and our corrupt, greedy, elected, selected, and unelected leaders have sold us out to one of our greatest adversaries that we're now mm -hmm. dependent upon. We need to become energy sovereign again, energy mm -hmm powerful again. Mm. And all this green move that I used to be a big proponent of, you know, of oil is bad and all that, I, I've now done my research to understand the truth. Mm. It can be very harmful. Mm. 
because we're irresponsible with the way that we interact with everything powerful, mm -hmm. with our words, with sex, mm -hmm. with food. Food is one of the number one killers of the human body. Mm -hmm. And it's a necessity at the same time. Mm -hmm. But we're so damn lazy that we don't even eat food anymore. <laughs> we eat this processed stuff that kills us. Mm. And we become lifelong customers to Big Pharma that runs pretty much our entire planet, twice the lobbying power as Big Oil, Big Pharma has. Mm. And so it's mm. understanding that the dynamics of how the system works and to understand that the, at the bottom of that pyramid of power are the people, the masses, mm. the billions of people mm. that have the ability to starve them all out of power tomorrow if we would just be willing to come out of our addiction to comfort and convenience because it's not comfortable and it's not always convenient. Mm. It might mean we actually have to drive an extra 10 miles to get real food mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or that we might actually have to do a little bit of work instead of having things handed to us. And if we're willing to do that and come back, roll up our friggin' sleeves, then we will be able to starve this tyranny out of existence in a, in a, in a, in a, rapid amount of time mm. yeah it's it's an excellent point and um echoes something we often say on this show that really the way you spend your money is the most important vote you can cast the the democratic election process doesn't hold a candle to how people actually spend their money because that's you're energizing right what producers are doing what they're creating the shape the world is actually taking through how you direct your, your financial energy. And G. Edward Griffin also wrote, an, you know, I think the most important book on central banking ever written, which is titled The Creature from Jekyll Island. And in this book, he, ex he talks about the inception of the Federal Reserve in the United States. He talks about the nature of money itself. And he talks about really the general malevolence of central banking as an institution. And I guess to the point you just made there, what, you know, if voting with our dollar is the vote that really counts, when we have a central bank, which is essentially a currency counterfeiting cartel, that that largely can subvert our ability to engage in these popular boycotts because guess what? They can print money, right? They can allocate dollars to whatever producer or agenda that they deem necessary. And they can externalize the cost of that currency counterfeiting onto us as inflation. So it's it's very dangerous, right? It almost it almost subverts this key voting mechanism that we have. And I know this isn't like your area of, of specialization, but I just want to pick your brain in general. Like, what do you think the role of central banking and the monopolization of money? What role does that play in the the perpetration of these psyops by the state? Well, I, I have a question for you and I have a story for you too. Um, yeah, please. The question you can answer whenever you want to, but during your promo that I was doing a deep dive on, you had said money is an attention allocation technology. I'd love to have you um, go deeper into what, what that means to you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this won't directly answer your question because you're right. It's, 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 uh, I try to stay in my lane on, on the things that I know and don't, mm -hmm. I don't like to pretend that I know something I don't. Um, but I will share this story of, uh, a, an insight that I had 
Um, I struggled with money for most of my life. And the reason for that is because my mom was on welfare. Mm. And when you understand that these programs, a lot of the programs that are designed and promoted as something helpful, to a degree they can be, but misused, they're destructive. Mm -hmm. My mom's husband died of a heart attack and she had three small children. Mm -hmm. I was a product of a fling that my mom had when my brothers and sisters were in their teens and preteens. Mm -hmm. So I came along later. Um, my mom was so wounded by the loss of the love of her life. And she ended up a product of the system by needing a handout from the state. Mm -hmm. And she never got off that program, which is, is designed to keep you there. It's also mm -hmm. designed to have women keep men out of the house because mm -hmm. my mom was a, a heavy set woman, but a very beautiful woman and with incredible personality. So there was a lot of men who, who wanted her, mm -hmm. but she resisted every possibility of getting married again for fear that if she had a man that actually moved in, she'd lose her welfare assistance. She had four kids on her own. And mm -hmm. if he left her because she was wounded and if he instantly went away, like the love of her life did, mm -hmm. um, she didn't know how long it would take her to get back on the program, if at all, and what would happen to her children. Mm -hmm. That What that instills in someone's psyche is incredibly detrimental. Mm -hmm. And so as a child, I was raised with this my, a, a mom that was paranoid of if a caseworker, if a welfare worker comes and, and they do they do surprise visits. If they come over and see that new bike, that could be a problem for us. So keep that thing hidden. Mm. Don't turn your stereo up too loud. If they if they could hear that you actually have a pretty decent stereo, they're gonna mm. they're gonna question why we spent our welfare money mm. on a two hundred dollar stereo. Mm. So it was constantly hiding our hiding any sign of abundance. And so I was programmed from a very young age that abundance was bad mm. appearing that you had things you didn't need was bad and so that had me reject abundance most of my life mm. i've only come out of that in the last few years and and so i would sabotage incredible opportunities or i would you know i would make a lot of money when i was in hollywood i was making a lot of money but i just blew it mm. I just blew it. Didn't invest in anything. I didn't want to have that proof that I I had stuff I didn't need, mm. and um, and so I would just I would just blow every every big paycheck I had, or I was over generous and just lend it to friends and never get it back. Whatever. And I didn't realize what was at the at the root of that. What was really going on for me. And so I've been intrigued by this money thing for a long time. And I tried all these, you know, my former partner directed the movie, The Secret, and that was all about attraction of money. And, mm -hmm. and so I tried all this stuff, you know, and I thought, I don't know if I believe in this crap. And <laughs> I tried to turn money around in my relationship to money and they, you know, all these songs that they would sing about, you know, um, getting right with money. And we tried all these little rituals and, and it still didn't work for me. And one day I go for the first year, I go to Burning Man. And I was very intrigued by that model because, you know, people had said, you can't buy anything with money. It's just barter. 
Mm-hmm. So there's no no cash. And so I got there and I found out right away, well, that's a lie because you have to buy ice and coffee. So there's two things that you do have to buy at Burning Man. I don't know if that's changed. This was 1999. Hmm. And, um, and, but I was still really, I was going to camp to camp and I'm, and I'm, they're like, you know, here's a can of beans and I'd love some waffles, please. And you're just bartering. And I thought, this is really, this is kind of cool. Hmm. And, um, and so I'm in line, this long line for ice one day. And, um, and it's, it's like sundown and this dirty hippie kid comes and he goes, Hey bro, can I, can I cut in front of you? He goes, I, I've been working on the temple and, uh, and, uh, I'm really tired. He's just dirty from head to toe and looked like he's been working really hard. And I said, sure, of course it's Bernie man. What am I going to say? <laughs> I'm like, of course, <laughs> off in front of me. And he gets in front of me and he tells the guy, he goes, Hey, I, I, I was a uh, part of the team building the temple out on the playa. Um, and they, they said, we get free ice. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, where's your voucher? And the guy goes, my what? He goes, your voucher. And he goes, I, I didn't. He goes, Terry was supposed to give you a voucher, you, you know. And he said, I didn't get. It. He didn't. Terry didn't tell me anything about that. I don't. I don't have a voucher. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And he said, Well, I. And he goes, Obviously, man. I goes, Look at me. I've been working all night long. I've been up for two days building the temple. He goes, I. I believe. Yeah, I know, man. You gotta have. He goes, you want me to go all the way back out there? This kid was ex- exhausted. And he goes, yeah, I'm sorry. And he and he goes, all right. And he starts heading back out to the temple. And I'm sitting there going, they just reinvented money right in front of me. <laughs> it's trust. Hmm. Like this guy. And then I was like, oh, shit. They call money trust. This hmm. is interesting. And I just had this epiphany come over me of like, that's probably the mushrooms, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know it it was it was like because our word is not solid i knew this young man was telling the truth and i think even the guy selling ice knew that he, he was selling the truth mm-hmm. but because we're so used to people taking advantage and scamming the, every system mm-hmm. every opportunity they can to lie and to, and just mm-hmm. it's we need a piece of paper to say i invested this amount of energy doing this work. And now here's my proof that I I've done this. It's that's trust. Right. Yeah. We, that's the only reason we need it because if this were the movie liar, liar, where we weren't able, then we could say, I worked on the temple. He'd go, I know you did because mm. there's, you can't lie. Here's your mm. ice, but we need mm. proof because mm-hmm. we're dishonest. And so it always comes back to me to understanding that our behavior, our bad behavior, Mm-hmm. is what creates a lot of the systems that we're suffering in right now. Mm. If we were honest, we actually wouldn't need the exchange of tokens and whatever to prove that we've invested our energy and, and we actually did some labor. We wouldn't need that because our word would be our currency. Mm. And so for me, like I said, I, I don't want to pretend like this answers your question, but that for me was uh, when I had the opportunity to do this podcast and I saw the name, I thought, oh, this is fantastic because <laughs> I, I haven't been able to share that story in quite some, some time. And I'm also intrigued by what money is and and why we need it and and mm. and how that changes things. And, um, and so on that, well, I would love to now, I, hopefully that it, um, it, that story is complete for you. If you have any questions for me, I'm happy to answer them. But I would love to hear from you um, your statement of a, an attention allocation technology. Yes. No, I think that's a great story. Um, and I, 
what we would typically call what you called trust there, right? Like you can't trust the words that they map onto the reality of whatever this guy did, right? Building the temple and he earned the ice, for instance. We would in Bitcoin circles and, and monetary theorists, they actually call that like a proof of work, right? That the the actual monetary token, instead of just trusting me at my word, I have proof, right? This is proof that I earned something that is scarce. And I'm here to redeem this scarce item for ice or a good or service, anything else that requires work. So what we have is like this instrument that's allowing us to trade favors in a trusted way, but not not no interpersonal trust, right? So it's kind of a weird language game with trust here because it's allowing you to not need to trust the individual because they're proving to mm-hmm. you by presenting this monetary token that the work was done. So it's not interpersonal trust, but it's trust in the actual monetary instrument itself. But key to mm-hmm. it is that that money needs to require work to produce. Because if it doesn't, someone can just print a bunch of money, right? And then the, it's just like selling you at the word. I can just print the money and buy whatever I want. So to get into like the attention allocation thing, and this is a this is a complex area in, in economics, but you know, we think we coordinate a lot of our actions in the world with language, which we do, right? We speak and we text and we do all these things to coordinate with one another, like, oh, meet me at the restaurant at noon and we coordinate our actions. We both arrive at the same place, same time. But more subtly, and I guess less obviously, is that we coordinate most of our productive activities in the world through the price signal, actually. So when the price of something goes up, this is a signal to producers to produce more of the thing, right? There's more profit mm-hmm. to be made as the price of, if you're a copper producer and the price of copper goes up, well, you have an incentive to produce more and sell it into the market. And on the other side of the marketplace, when the price of copper goes up, you as a consumer of copper are actually incentivized to use less because it's more expensive, right? Or to find mm-hmm. substitutes. Maybe you can use something other than copper. So this price signal that that propagates through money is really signaling to producers what to produce, and it's signaling to consumers how much they can consume. And so this is a this is the problem, I think. Well, we'll say a problem instead of the problem with central banking and currency counterfeiting is that you have a central power that can produce new units of money with no work. Right, literally, the Federal Reserve is running a central database. It's an SQL database maintained at the Federal Reserve that we call the U.S. dollar. It's just a database, mm-hmm. and that database can be updated arbitrarily at the whim of central bank bureaucrats. So, what this is doing is that it's falsifying that signal. Right, producers now are producing more things. Like if dollars are flowing to them from a central bank. That's not a reflection of actual consumers demanding more copper or demanding more cars or whatever the thing is. It's just a product of state policy. And it's also preventing consumers from expressing their preferences because the price is now moving not based on supply and demand, but it's moving based on central bank monetary policy. So the core problem, I think, in to kind of go back to your example is like, had that guy presented the voucher, which is presumably a scarce thing, right? There's not unlimited vouchers. Otherwise Mm -hmm. that really wouldn't have proven the work we have in fiat currency, 
this thing that can just be produced ad infinitum. So there's no work necessary to produce it. And that distorts the entire coordination of the marketplace. Producers are producing more so based on what the state tells them to produce and less so on what consumers actually want. And consumers are unable to express their preferences because their spending is being uh, drowned out, if you will, by the printing of new money. Mm-hmm. So, and the attention piece is really that, you know, it's like what, so as pri- the price moves, you're moving the attention of producers like this, well, consumers want more of this thing. So let me produce more of this thing. And I, in a more simplistic way, you might say, a lot of people get out of bed in the morning and it's like, okay, what am I going to do today? Well, most people get ready and get, they go to work, right? And so it's commanding the way money moves is largely commanding how people spend most of their time. And when you spend your time at work, what are you doing? You're directing your attention to some productive activity. You're, you're rendering a favor to someone, whether you're working in a restaurant or making shoes or building a car, whatever it is, you're, you're, at, you're channeling your attention into an activity that serves other people. Mm-hmm. And so when you have the central bank, the currency counterfeiting monopoly, it distorts the allocation of this attention. Mm-hmm. And we end up building things that aren't necessarily productive, like mm-hmm. war machines and toxic processed foods and you know uh, chemical pesticides, like all of these things. So um, it's a bit bit of an abstract area. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I appreciate the answer for sure. But the proof of work is the key, right? And the, the problem with the central bank is that they can produce money that does not require work. This is why gold was so useful, is because mm-hmm. it required work to produce. So somewhat intuitively, if if money is the thing that we use to acquire goods and services, and all goods and services require work to produce, doesn't it only intuitively make sense that money should also require work to produce? Mm-hmm. And this is the way it's been throughout all of history. You know, we use monetary metals and gold, et cetera. This is what Bitcoin is based on as well. It's proof of work. But when you separate currency production from the from work, basically, you get this falsified reality. Mm-hmm. And um, it feeds a lot of other things too, because the, the money, so say we printed $6 trillion during the pandemic. Well, where did that money go? Right? We, we the, the last time I looked at the math, it was like $46,000 per US household that we printed. We sent $3,000 checks to each US household. Where did the other 43,000 go? Goes to Wall Street, goes to politicians, goes to all of these things that consumers don't actually demand. It's just stolen purchasing power and it's used to do all kinds of negative things in the world like twist yeah. mainstream media, you know, push certain mandates on people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anyways, I don't want to hijack our conversation with that, but um, I hope that was somewhat useful. Yeah. Very much. Thank you. Yes. Um, okay. All right. One of the realizations I've had that's, that's really transformed my worldview and largely in doing this show is that human beings we are rational animals, right? This is what makes us different than other animals that we have this command over language and, and thought, but this cognitive software that we have called rationality, it comes with the, the risk. I don't know. It's, it's both a feature and a bug, I guess, that we can program ourselves, right? We can learn new things. We can uh, develop new skills. We can change the course of our life based on what ideologies we adopt. 
And for those that understand that, they tend to use this realization to program themselves, right? To decide how they're going to structure their lives, what work they're going to do, et cetera, et cetera. They engage in critical thinking about the world and they program themselves. But many people that maybe don't think about this as much, they don't realize they're programmable, they become vulnerable to programming by others, which is something along the lines of like ideological possession um, that we've described. How can we awaken people to the nature of human rationality and this intrinsic programmability that we all have such that individuals can learn to, I guess, take responsibility for themselves, their own thoughts, their own actions, and be less susceptible to ideological possession? Mm-hmm. Yeah, another really deep, wonderful question. We've been wired or generations to follow the leader. Mm. And I think that's at the root of everything that's not working for us right now, is that there's this idea that a person or a small group of people are elected or selected, chosen in some way to guide us and that we actually require that. That's at the root of everything wrong. Because right there from the very foundation, we are giving up our sovereignty. Hmm. And we are allowing the ideas and opinions of others to become ours instead of having a, a very individual experience of, of life how it's meant to be processed through each of our bodies independently so that the accumulation of what we process and discover together then becomes this exponential experience um, that we all add to. Mm. Instead, we're waiting for the directives of a small group of people and again, we're responsible for this. We responsibility comes with a lot of energy that we don't want. The moment that we we know that I'm here because I brought me here. I am fat because I eat unhealthy food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, whatever it is, right? This is me um, and my choices that I've done. At the very same time that the moment we accept responsibility for our lives, then we're empowered to do something mm-hmm. about it. But the problem, Robert, is that so many people don't want that responsibility. Mm-hmm. They want to be a victim. They want to be oppressed. They want to be... um told what to do by others, because then if it doesn't work, then they go, wasn't me, Mm. not my fault. They don't want to be at the cause of their life Mm. because it comes with, and if we go back even further, why don't they want to be at the cause of their life? Because they've bought into the story that they are incomplete. Who are they 
to guide their life. Look how look look at how incompetent they've been their whole life, and look at the fact that they're just a sinner. That they're they're if you look at all the narratives from the movies that we have consumed over the past fifty years, what is at the root of almost every sci-fi movie? Humanity is a cancer. Mm. We're a parasite on this planet. We're a failed experiment. We are the destroyers of everything beautiful. And while we do destroy things that are beautiful, um, we're also brilliant, resilient, beautiful. We're a gift. Mm. And so let's go back even further. How can someone believe? Like right now, we have an epidemic of young people believing, literally believing that they were born in the wrong body. Mm. Now we go back to what we were speaking about at the beginning of this conversation. If they had respect for a creator, mm -hmm. if they have what I call divinity consciousness, that life doesn't happen to us, but for us, if they knew that, then they wouldn't think that, that, Life is so fallible that you could actually be born in the wrong body. Mm. The only way someone can have that thought is to not have a connection with the divinity that is the this ineffable, in, this ineffable infinite intelligence that many people call God. Mm. Something much greater than us to understand that there's a divine intelligence operating this planet. That's why the leaves know when to when to fall off the tree. Mm-hmm. That's why the dew comes every morning so the grass can drink. Mm -hmm. That's why the sun rises and falls and sets and well, the planet rotates, and but mm -hmm. why we have the exposure to the sun and the moon in the exact increments that we have it in is because that's what it requires for nature to do nature. Mm -hmm. Biomimicry is something that all humans need to study mm. because right now we're mimicking other failed humans. Right. And other failed systems instead of actually mimicking the one thing that works, which is nature. Right. It's 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 immeasurable how intelligent and perfect nature is. Mm -hmm. Even when it destroys. Mm -hmm. The destruction is part of the life and death process. Mm. And our giving up on that, our buying into these stories that we have just by I was an accidental birth, so I could have that story easily, and I did for years. If I, I wasn't meant to be here, bullshit. My mom tried. She did, thank God she didn't believe in abortion. Hmm. I wouldn't be here with you right now. Hmm. She tried everything she could to induce a miscarriage. She went horseback riding and everything the doctor said not to do because she wanted hmm. to have a guilt-free miscarriage. Hmm. And I was determined to come because I had work to do here. Hmm. And understanding that, that we all have work to do here. Right. It doesn't matter on what scale. We get tripped up in these the pitfall of comparisons of, well, I can never do things at the scale. You're, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be Elon Musk or whatever. You don't. It doesn't matter. Mm. What are you doing in your daily practice? What kind of father are you being? Mother, husband, wife, brother, sister, neighbor. And to understand that there is meaning in all of it. There's mm. purpose in all of it. Mm. To come back to this rises uh, rises us above these foundational wounds mm. that have us vulnerable to any of these mental games 
mm. that have us feeling that I need to now vote for a savior to come save me. Right. I don't need a savior to come save me. Right. This is my life. Mm. It's my family. I'll protect them. I'll take mm. care of my life. I just don't, I want to stop the people who are out to do harm to my family and my life. And unfortunately, we have people that that is what they've decided their life purpose is, is to eliminate a lot of people that they don't think are necessary anymore mm. in this planet. And I used to hear that kind of talk 10 years ago when people would talk about depopulation or whatever. And I just, I just was so allergic to conspiracy theories. I just, I would, I would shut all of that out, not really understanding, oh, there really is a group of people who consider themselves to be elite. When you look at the Georgia Guidestones that were just blown up a couple of years ago, and you understand, what did it say in those Guidestones? It said the ideal population is 500 million. Mm -hmm. What? That's 700, <laughs> that's 7 billion, 500 million less than we have. Right. What? Right. What, what happened? Like what? And, and this number has been repeated many, many times in a lot of these circles of that, you know, they are anywhere reducing the population all the way down to 500 million up to, you know, a uh, uh, half of what we have now. Mm. And so you go, what, what is, what is with these people who somehow feel they have dominion over this territory called earth such that they want the playground to themselves. They're a bunch of wounded children. Mm. And when automation is coming rapidly, AI, Hollywood's striking right now because they're terrified because they know they're being replaced with chat GPT and everything else. Mm. And I'll tell you, I had a team of writers. I don't use them anymore. Why? 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 Because I just use chat today. Mm. And where I used to send it to my writers and say, punch this up for me. Now I just put it in, you know, and I say, improve this chat. Thank you. Mm. Boom. It's done. Mm -hmm. It's free. Mm. Why wouldn't I take that opportunity? But here's the thing. AI can destroy us mm. or it can free us up. Mm -hmm. Again, it's our responsibility. How are we going to interact and engage with it? Mm. Are we going to, through our addiction to comfort and convenience, allow it to grow to the point of where it takes over? Is it going to use us? Or are we going to use it? Because mm -hmm. it actually could do all the slave labor jobs that nobody should be doing. Mm -hmm. Robots can be doing all that stuff. And so that the men can be freed up to actually, hey, Maybe be with your child mm -hmm. or your children. Remember that when we used to go out and play catch with our kids? Mm -hmm. Like maybe fathers can be freed up to do that again. So they're not working 16 hours a day shoveling gravel mm -hmm. and a robot can do that. It could free us up. Yeah. You know, but we'll probably interact with it in such a irresponsible way that we'll let, we'll let it do great damage to us, just like we have with the internet. This internet, the reason that we have the potential to save ourselves from what Mao Zedong's people couldn't save themselves from, Lenin, all the other dictators of the past, Hitler. We have technologies now that allow us to share like we're doing right now, Robert. Mm. They didn't have that before. They had one or two or three state-sponsored TV stations that funneled one word. Mm -hmm. The people had no idea what was going on until they were fully captured. Mm -hmm. How do you capture 1.4 billion people in China? Chinese people are smart. How do you, how do you trick 1.4 billion people into following one little fat guy, mm -hmm. being a slave to that one little fat guy and, mm -hmm. and, and his mafia incrementally? 
and and through a process that is almost invisible until it's too late. And that's what's happening in America right now is, oh yeah, the shooting just happened. So let us let us draw back on your, take away anything that has the semi-automatic power. Okay, great. And then you see what happens in Canada. You know, they say that would never happen. Now they're saying, let's take away handguns. Oh, okay, there you go. It uh, never uh, stops uh, there. Right. I was born with a gay brother. So I say, like, hey, you want to live your life? You want to be gay? Do your thing. Mm -hmm. My brother's community was fantastic with me. I loved them. Mm -hmm. Never a problem. But I remember when I was anti-Republican, hearing all these, what I thought were greedy, bigoted Republicans saying, I'm like, why would you fight against gay marriage? If hmm. two women or men or whatever want to marry and they're in love, let them do what they want to do. They said, no, because it doesn't end there. And I thought, oh, you people, hmm. you're such bigots. Hmm. It didn't end there. Oh, shit. Hmm. You know, now there are states that have, if you call someone who looks like a man, a man, but they have chosen to identify as a woman, it's a federal offense. Son and done and done, law passed. Now they're trying to pass in other states in the United States. You know, so when we talk, we, we look, I now go, oh, geez, these Republicans were right about a lot of shit. Hmm. You know, it is. You mm -hmm. give them an inch, they take a mile until it, next thing you know, they're, now they're compelling your speech, what you can and cannot say. And it's like, right. this is no longer just about freedom and letting people be, because I, I have no problem with that. Dress like a woman, do your thing. Yeah. I really don't care. But now, hold on a second. My son's second grade class has a drag queen coming to read them stories. Why? Why? Why is that? And let me. What story are you going to read? Oh, that there is no boy, such thing as a boy or a girl. I don't. I, I don't approve of that. I don't approve of that. That's. I don't want you teaching my child that. It may, I might agree with that, but it's not your. I don't. But I, even if I did, mm. that's my choice to teach my child that at the point of when I feel he's ready to learn. And so now it's like all this stuff is infringed upon our lives. And so you start realizing like, wow, I wanted to be a libertarian. Mm. I wanted to be, but it's like, I can't sign off on no government now, mm. no rules, no regulations, because people are so irresponsible. We actually, they need the regulations. They need the rules. Mm. But I certainly don't want what the left is offering with, which is total government. Mm. collectivism, total government. How do we do this? If we, again, like the Burning Man story, if we were just honest, if we were responsible, if we just behaved, made the highest choices, we wouldn't need any government. But unfortunately, I would love for there to be no, I live in a place in Texas where there's a long stretch of empty road. It's 55 miles per hour. Who can drive 55 miles per hour? <laughs> it's like the, the you know, 70 at least. Yeah. It's empty, long road. I want no speed limits, but I know what that means. I'll be safe on that road, but some idiots are going to go drag racing and run head on and kill my children Yeah, because they're not, not going to be responsible with it. They're not going to take that freedom and, and have reverence for that freedom and respect for that freedom such that they preserve it mm. through their, um, through their, uh, through respect. They're going to abuse it. And so the whole game changes from my perspective when we begin to take responsibility for our behavior. Mm. Yes. A lot of great points there. I'm, this whole idea of self-responsibility, like 
taking a hard look in the mirror and accepting your own past mistakes, right? If you're overweight or you're whatever, your life is not what you want it to be. Well, that's on you. And that's a hard, hard realization. It's a hard thing to do and easy to want someone to come and save you, but no one's coming to save you, right? That's not the nature of the world we live in. Like you are fully responsible for your life. Um, and I'm reminded too, how you describe uh, us misusing these, these tools, you know, whether it's language or, or money or, uh, even freedom, right? Freedom, just that it can be misused and abused. There's that quote I shared with you earlier that every tool is a weapon if you hold it right. So mm-hmm. it's like we're not we're not wielding these tools properly. And I don't that's a very tricky one. You know, I don't I kind of come back to to God in a way. Like you need some higher guiding principle than just a, a coercive enforcement if we're ever going to really get on the right path and flow harmoniously together i i don't think the state can accomplish that but i don't know it's very very tricky area i want to ask you one last thing i've I've kept you long um now i'd like to tell you about our sponsor wasabi wallet with wasabi wallet you can receive send and store bitcoin privately in wasabi wallet your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin, and for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code breedlove you mentioned this before we started talking this phrase that you think you may have coined called obedience legends mm-hmm. and you know these are perhaps even at the root of human behavior like control narratives um perhaps these things have been useful you know i thought just the idea of fasting being a common thing mentioned in in traditional religions which is obviously really good for health. Um, so, you know, these these cultural patterns that are intended to help people over time, but again, like a tool that can be held improperly and used as a weapon, they can also be used to control people for other purposes. Um, and you brought up, for instance, climate change being one of these obedience legends that we're living under today. What are obedience legends and what what can we do to help awaken people to the reality of 
the importance of stories and storytelling and how it mm-hmm. how it influences their behavior and the shape of of society at large story is so important to understand the power of story because our minds were actually designed to learn through symbology that's Mm -hmm. why people like the the chinese people and people whose letters are characters and and symbols that's one of the reasons that they outthink us is they're actually have developed their mind in in a proper way that isn't just by rote letter by letter Mm. and um and so I teach my boys through a lot of metaphors and stories. And I'll, and I'll, I'll share one with you because I realized the, the power of this thing called obedience legend, which I, I guess I coined the phrase. I don't know. I, I years ago was obsessed by it. And, and recently I went to try to search it out and it doesn't exist anywhere. So I thought, okay, maybe I made up that term. Um, and I'll get to what I taught my boys in a second, but I'll give you an example. So all, all cultures have various obedience legends and and uh it, it, one example would be um so i lived in mexico for a while and half of my fa- family is mexican and and there's a there's a tale i hope i pronounce this right la, la la llorona i believe is the is the legend of la la llorona um there have been movies made about this ghost and it's a woman who drowned and what the parents tell their children is they say to, to particularly to young women, when they start to get to a dating age, they say, if you're out after dark, La Llorona will get you. She comes out of the water and um, and she'll drown you or she'll drown your first children. Something like this. It varies. Mm-hmm. I've heard it told mm-hmm. in many, many ways. So it's an obedience legend to have kids come home before dark. Mm-hmm. And um, my first marriage, I was married to a, a wonderful person, um, who recently passed away and her, she was Spanish Filipino and her, her mom was very Spanish and she had all these obedience legends that she would share with us. And, uh, and I started really looking at that thinking, wow, this is incredible. So we've used these forever. These, these legends, these legends of the serpent and the, this and the, and they controlled before they had technologies, they would control people. How do you keep, how does a small group of pharaohs and Kings and Queens, how do they, and they're usually fat and docile. How do they control 20,000 slaves mm. back in the day, back in the cradle of civilization? How did they do that? Um, they'd get into their head. A lot of time it was, it was, it was religious stuff. The gods, mm. I'm anointed and God talks to me and he tells mm. me everything you're thinking. I can hear it. God tells me. So they're afraid to have their own thoughts, right? These are all obedience legends. Mm. And those haven't stopped. We need to understand that they have not stopped. They've only become more advanced and harder to detect. And so climate change is a massive obedience legend. Mm. Are we doing harm to our planet? Immeasurable. Does climate change exist? Of course. Are humans, all living things that produce heat, contributing to that? Of course. Is it an existential threat? No. All the models have been fudged and it is used just like COVID. Mm. Look what people were willing to do for the fear of life. Now at the root, if we go back, we understand, wow, there's a real 
love for life that people have that they're so feared to so afraid to lose it that they'll give up all their freedom right so there's something beautiful in that to see that we we so love life that we're willing to be locked in a cage just to be alive mm. just to stay mm. alive but isn't a free life better mm -hmm. wouldn't it be better to live your life outside that cage mm. and not in fear and so when you understand that these obedience legends are designed to control us in our free time. So that's the parents going, when I'm sleeping and I'm not able to watch you, I don't want you sneaking out. So how mm -hmm. do I control you? How do I get you to come back when I know you're going to be, you know, really lured to maybe staying the night with that boy or doing something you shouldn't do at your age? Mm -hmm. How do I, instead of respect, which is what I teach my kids is respect mm. to make the highest choice. I don't scare them into making the choice I want them to make because that mm. ultimately backfires against parents. Then when the kid gets old enough to go, Lyrona doesn't exist. Oh, what? <laughs> like Santa Claus. We don't tell our kids any of these lies. Easter yeah. bunny, Santa Claus, none of them. Yeah. So I don't want them to grow up one day and go, all oh, the big people lied to me for six years. Right. Yeah. That's the game we decided to play somehow. Bullshit. I won't play that with my kids. I want them to know the truth. Yeah. And um, and so here is the upside of obedience legends. Um, we started to give my kids some time on video games. And um and we were pretty careful of what they could play, what they couldn't play. And and parents were like, oh, Minecraft is creative and whatever. Oh, okay, we'll let mm. you try it. Mm. And this was about two years ago. Um and then I started noticing that my oldest boy, he just turned 12, he'd, he was nine at the time, and he'd be in the backseat of the car, and he'd just be quiet in his own world. I'd be like, what's going on, Zai? His name's Zai. And he'd be like, what? What? I said, what, where were you, man? We call it his laboratory, right, when you're hmm. thinking too deep. You're, you're in your laboratory. Yeah, what, what are you thinking about? Minecraft. Hmm. Like, oh, wow, okay, I guess that's okay. I'll let that go a little while. And then we go to a mm. water park. Two hours goes by and he goes, how much longer are we going to be here, Dad? <laughs> how much longer are we going to... Uh, all day. <laughs> Why? I'm kind of bored. You're bored? Have you written all the slides? No, it's... Uh... What's going on, man? Well, we have half hour left video game time. I want to get home before it gets too late. Wow. Hmm. Wow. You want to leave a water park to go have 20 minutes of this drug called video game. Interesting. This is becoming a problem. So my wife and I started talking about it. Mm. We started limiting their time until it became this very natural thing where, okay, now it's us against them. Now all they see is mom and dad. And now my little one's starting to sneak it. And we have a super firm rules about being men of honor. And so that blew my mind. He started sneaking things. Mm. I was like, what? And he would feel bad, so he'd tell me. I'm like, why'd you do that? It was like the allure of this. Would say, I couldn't, I had to play another hour. Mm -hmm. And so we were the bad guys, right? Because we're the ones going now, we're the ones constantly taking away from you something that brings you so much joy that you want to do so bad. So now we're just the people who take away your joy. Mm -hmm. I don't want that relationship with them. They need mm -hmm. to understand where I'm coming from. So one day I sat down and I said, I want you guys to picture a golden wheat field, virgin wheat field. My little guy goes, what's virgin mean? And I go, it means untouched. Just no one's been trampled it. It's just there. 
And I want you to imagine what would happen if you walked across that field. And they both go, it would trample the wheat down. I said, yeah, but in an hour or so, it would all pop back up. They go, yeah. I said, well, what happened if you walk that path multiple times a day and then all the wildlife and everyone else started to take your path? And they said it would become a trail. And I said, yeah, like the hiking trails we go on. I said, you guys do understand that there's no lawn maintenance people come and tend to those trails, right? The, the grass has just given way to the foot traffic. Mm -hmm. It just gave up. It's mm -hmm. like, we're not coming back. Because mm -hmm. every time we start to sprout, new, new, we get trampled. So we're done. You guys, you won. You, you get the path. Mm -hmm. And I said, anything you do on a repetitive basis carves a pathway called a neuropathway in your brain. And I want you to know that as just as we said, all the wildlife, everything will start taking that path because it's the path of least resistance. People don't want to go where it's unknown. They want to see someone's been here before. Let me just follow them. These people out there, my kids are fully aware that there are people out there after their minds. Hmm. So those people that want to capture your attention, they want you to play this game so much that you develop a deep rut. And I said, have you guys ever seen water run downhill? Do you notice that it always picks a little rut and that water that's that it suddenly together, once it gets in the rut, it rushes much faster because now it, it has no resistance to it and it can find that rut. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's just like thought. Now, these people that want to control your mind can use that deeply cut rut that has been developed through the technology that they've made you addicted to, and they can channel all of their information in, into that channel mm -hmm. and you won't have any dominion over your choices. And that's why we have so many young people out in the streets. I show my kids these videos. I go, listen to these young people right now. Listen to their ideologies. Listen to them saying that men can get pregnant, men can have periods. Mm -hmm. Listen to them when they're asked, you know, uh, they, they don't know nothing about the planet or nature. We watch these videos where this guy goes to Times Square and it's hilarious and not, where he'll say, how many moons does Earth have? Seven? How many days in a month? Seven? How many, like, like who, who, how many presidents have we had? Uh, five, like they're just completely have no idea anything about history, life, whatever, they're like what, what countries border the U S uh, Iowa. These are the real answers that these people are giving. Right. Yes. And you just go, and my kids are going, well, how do they, why, how do they not know that? And I said, because they didn't have someone teach them what I'm teaching you right now. And now their, their minds have these deep ruts in their, in their neural pathways. And they've lost dominion of their own common sense. They can't even hear themselves. They don't even know that that people are at home. Why it has three million views is because people are laughing at them, because they don't know. They say, you know, how many dimes in a dollar, you know? And these kids are like twenty five. Hmm. They don't know the most basic stuff. They show them pictures of a clock, you know, and they go, "What time does this say?" Hmm. And they're literally like, "Uh, they're looking at big hand means what again?" And little hand. And it's like, they have no idea. So wow. I show my kids these because I say, you can be that if you choose to be. Like that's an option for your life path. You can be one of them. And if you keep doing everything that all your friends are doing or all the lure, you're not going to build the discipline, the strength. They go to the gym with me. They go to CrossFit. They do all that. I said, just like the gym. You, you guys see what happens when you don't go regularly. You know, you lose that strength, you lose that muscle. And I said, so this is a daily workout for you guys mm. because there's daily stuff coming at you. You have to be constantly aware. And and so they're they're little fighters already. They're they're they we watch a movie and my son will will pause and go, I'm so sorry, but I want this is propaganda. Watch this, Dad. Check that out. 
notice how they just said this. That's them trying to convince me that, and, you know, they're watching mm -hmm. for all the signals of how they're being manipulated. And so if, if we continue to do that as big people, as the adults on this planet, to be aware that there is a war, as G. Edward Griffin says in The Great Awakening, there is a war for your mind. Mm. Because the moment that they can hijack your attention, that's why I wanted to ask you that question about your mm. statement about attention. Because after 30 plus years of studying Joseph Campbell's Hero, Hero's Journey work, and asking myself, what is this boon he talks about? The Holy Grail that he said, what is that for, for the common human? I believe it's our attention. Mm. It, is the, it is the will of the rudder of our ship. Mm. And if that will is in the hands of somebody else, they'll take you wherever they want you to go. Right. If it's askew by a human hair, it'll take you to the wrong continent. And so we have to become the masters of our attention again, which means when these things are presented to us, mm. Um, how do we meet them with critical thought? How, how do we how do we how do we question everything, and and then look? Our, don't just listen to me because I'm convincing and I'm articulate or whatever. Don't listen to you. Don't listen. Question everything. Question it. Look mm -hmm. at it. And go. Hmm. And also, let's get back into this thing we call our intuition, which we've been severed mm -hmm. from, mm -hmm. because this thing actually gives us the signal, like the dashboard of your car. It tells you what's going on with the interior workings of your motor, mm -hmm. when it needs oil, when it's running hot, when it. So this intuition is here to go and mm, back off. I don't know about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this Justin Trudeau guy has a great smile and super <laughs> charismatic, but I don't know. <laughs> like, listen to that. Yeah, listen to this thing that comes up because that is the, the divine intelligence working through you with you. That is this thing that I call God. That it's like if we get closer yeah. to that, then. Um, then it helps us identify the highest choices. And then at that point, it's up to us which one we choose. Yeah, that, man, that is such an excellent point on the intuition. Um, probably a, a very useful countermeasure to the, the programming I mentioned earlier too, right? That if you can quiet the mind and listen to the heart or the instincts, the gut, whatever you want to call it, you can see through a lot of, a lot of the bullshit. Do we have and, time for a little story about intuition? Of course. Okay. Because I'll make this as quick as possible. I've told this before in other podcasts, but I don't think you've heard it. After Plandemic 1, I got a call from a very good friend. And he said, um, I have some guys that want to do a deal with you for millions. Will you take the call? And he says, I know them very well. I've, I'm working with them. Good guys. I said, sure. I got on the phone. It turns out these were the guys who raised, were raising money when Trump couldn't build the wall. It became a citizen-led movement called We Build the Wall. And there were citizens and a, a paraplegic a veteran that was trying to raise the money to get the walls built in the areas that were affecting the, you know, um, areas that they lived. They mm -hmm. were understanding what was going on by the mass migration. And uh, he, they said, we, we hold the record for single-day fundraising tour and uh, um, campaign. And we know that we can beat that with, with what your movie has just done. And I know that you're in the process of doing number two right now. Um, we want to make an offer to you. Here's the offer. $1 million the moment you sign, cash, yours. And $16 million additional dollars within the scope of this crowdfunding campaign, which was three or four months or something like that. Guaranteed. If the campaign doesn't reach that amount, we pay you 
personally. So you walk away with $17 million regardless of how it goes. And I said, wow, <laughs> what do you want for that? And they said, just, we're going to take, we're going to raise more than that. So we know we can raise more and we're going to take, we're going to do a 70, 30 split with you. So we keep 30, you keep 70. And so we'll make a, we'll, we feel like we'll make a few million dollars on this deal. And we, I said, you don't want licensing rights. You don't want any control. No, 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 none of that. None of that. Just for this short period of time, we have the ability to use your brand and your name. And I said, if you look at the media right now, you'll see that they're accusing me of being a fame seeker and a grifter and all this stuff. This is what they're using. I'm so afraid that this is going to kill my momentum to actually do the good that I am here to do on this planet. So I don't know if I can do this. The moment I come out with, everyone's going to say, there he goes doing a crowdfunding campaign. Mm. That's what it was all about. Mm. And they said, all right, we understand. So what if we don't, what if you give us a two minute video that we use only internally? We have 500,000 high net worth patriots that we know will support your work fiercely. You give us a two minute video. We won't even go public with it. We'll just send it to our internal list and no one will even know that this is happening. And I went, wow. That's... And I said verbally, okay. I said, I can't, how can I pass this up? Amazing. Went home to my wife. She's like, oh. And it came through my friend Reno. She knows he's a stand-up guy. She goes, wow, this is real. I said, very real. I said, this is, you know, I told him who they were. And and uh, so, okay, got another call. I'm on my third call with him. By this time, they they had designed a, a landing page that they were showing me. So we were on, look, I was sitting outside and looking at it on my phone. And, and they had designed this landing page. And I'm looking at the landing page. Um, and this is where their internal list would go to this landing page. And they make donations to this page. And. And I just got this clear, intuitive, the answer is no, you cannot do this. Hmm. And I hadn't had that at all. Everything was a yes. you know. And I just, it was so loud and so clear. I'm now sitting there kind of sweating going, oh, what? Hmm. The answer is no. And I finally interrupted. There were two guys talking back and forth. Reno was on the call and, and this the lead guy. And I said, hey, guys, hey, guys, excuse me for a second. They go, yeah, I said. I'm so sorry. I can't do this. And he thought I was talking about the landing page. He goes, Hey, mm -hmm. look, I know you guys got a stellar digital team. You can rebuild it. This is just our first step. I said, no, 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 no. The whole deal. I know I said yes to you. And I, I tried my best to be a man of my word and I, and I feel terrible. So whatever you've spent, send me a bill, I'll pay you, but I can't do this. He goes, you mean the whole thing? You're, and I said, the whole thing. I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm mm. super clear right now. I can't do it. Reno's going, well, hold on, bro. Hold on, hold on. I said, no, no, I can't do it. Hang up the phone. Reno calls me back. He's like, what are you doing? I vouch for these guys, man. These are good. I said, it's nothing to do with them. Mm. I said, Reno, I just got the clear, intuitive guidance to say no. And when I don't listen to that, something bad happens. Mm. And it's so loud and so clear. He's like, man, I think you're making a big mistake. He was not, he was probably getting some kind of a commission out of it. You know, mm -hmm. he was not happy, but he's a good guy. And he said, all right, man, I go home. My wife's there. She's like, so, and I said, sit down. <laughs> and I said, uh, I had to pass. So oh, they weren't good guys. I said, no, super good guys. Super good guys. What happened? What happened? I said, I don't know. I just got the clear. My wife's incredible. She goes, well, honey, good thing you listened to that. Cause you know what happens when you don't. That's great. No problem at all. A little while later, my wife 
I'm just waking up. My wife's, I could see the bathroom from the bed and she, she's looking through her phone. She goes, oh boy, this isn't good. I go, what? She goes, Steve Bannon's being indicted. I went, well, give me that. And I remember them saying they worked with Steve Bannon on the bill. Mm. I look at it. All their names are listed. They're all being indicted. Wow. Now they were set up. I don't think they really did anything wrong, but the yeah. fact that they were trying to build the wall and supporting anything that had in conjunction with one of Trump's initiatives, they were being targeted, but they were all going down. Wow. As I'm looking at this, my phone rings in Reno and I go, hey, and he goes, I will never fucking doubt you again. <laughs> How did you see that coming? And I said, wow. I didn't, man. I said, but that's what, so I want to share that story because that solidified it for me. That's when I realized there's something working through us. And if we yeah. just listen to that, we make much better choices. I wouldn't be here with you right now. We would have probably gone down with the indictment. There certainly wouldn't have been a pandemic two or three. And I wouldn't have the ability to actually make a difference in, in the way that I'm attempting to right now. Had I not listened to that, had the greed took took over and yeah. I just said, let me shut that away because we need the money right now. And so I believe there's something that this divine intelligence, this infinite divine intelligence is always there and available for us if we just slow down and exercise enough stillness to hear it. That is a an exemplary story. And it seems like the more you trust your intuition, the more it's tested. <laughs> That's quite the test that you faced. You're right. Spot uh, on. Mickey, I think that is a great place to put a button on it. Um, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, anyone that hasn't seen your film or your documentary series, rather, they need to go see it immediately. Um, this is really important work. So thank you so much for what you're doing. And thank you for talking to me today. Where can people find more about you or your work on the internet? Plandemicseries.com. All of the Plandemic series is there for free. My book is there for free. I welcome anyone to donate. My films are made 100% on donations right now, which is how I'm able to give them uh, free to the world. Uh, but it's all right there. There's a, a, a video, um, I'm sorry, an audio version of my book that's downloadable. And um, check that out because you get the full story there. Uh, but Plandemic 1, 2, and 3 are there. And we're just gearing up to do something about the climate narrative now. So we are going to go on a, on, a, on a campaign to raise money for the next movie. Um, so any help towards that would be deeply appreciated. And I just want to say I've really, really enjoyed this time with you. I, I appreciate who you are, your insights are deep and spot on and i appreciate your humility and uh, so anytime i can come back here i would i would jump at the opportunity uh thank you so much and likewise my friend you're doing great work please never stop doing it <laughs> thank you again i'll make you that yeah thank you brother